The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Star Wars 7x7 episode 2754. I thought after three episodes of the Book of Boba Fett and seeing how things are shaking out in Mos Espa, it might be worth revisiting the episode that we did about whether there are smaller stakes in play for the series than we thought there might be, and also how it might lead to the appearance of another group of mercenaries that we first met in the sequel trilogy. Punch it. Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the potential for smaller stakes than we might have expected in the Book of Boba Fett. And what I meant by that was the Hutt cartel had been in control of a lot of nefarious doings in the Outer Rim, but for the Book of Boba Fett, it sure seems like we're very tightly focused on Tatooine, and not just tightly focused on Tatooine, but on Mos Espa in specific. Now, we knew from the end of The Mandalorian Season 2 and the start of the Book of Boba Fett that Boba Fett was stepping in to whatever territory Bib Fortuna was still managing, but we didn't know the extent to which he was managing any territory. All we knew was that there had been a whole situation that Jabba the Hutt had been the head of, and once he was gone, there was some question as to who within the rest of the Hutt family is surviving, and we'll get to that part in a second, would actually take over for it. But again, as of at least a few months after the death of Jabba, there was still no clear answer to that. And that surviving business has to do with what we talked about in our run-up to the Book of Boba Fett when we were covering all the Boba Fett stories, and in particular, War of the Bounty Hunters, where, as part of that storyline, Darth Vader killed pretty much everybody that was part of the Hutt Council, with the exception of Jabba the Hutt, and so he was the only one in charge of everything by the time we got to Return of the Jedi, and then by his death. So they were probably sorting out their own Hutt clan, Hutt Grand Council kinds of issues by the time he was dead as well. So then add the complication of, well, he's dead now, and we don't even have our council fully constituted yet, and who's going to take over for this? And I think what we are to understand is that the Hutt's sphere of influence significantly shrank over the course of the five or so years in between the end of Return of the Jedi and the events of the Aftermath novels by Chuck Wendig that take place between four and five ABY, and where we get to the Book of Boba Fett, which is approximately 10 ABY. So during those five years, it seems like the Hut sphere of influence has shrunk significantly, and Boba Fett return, or refers to debauchery on Nalhada. So yeah, apparently not going well, but they have some influence apparently, because if the twins are able to be escorted to Tatooine and into Mos Espa on a beer and are able to hire a major bounty hunter like Black or Sanin, then they've still got some juice, it seems. 
seems, but you know how much is another issue entirely. But if they're also backing off at the first inkling of the Pikes being interested in Moss Espa, well, yes, that's another suggestion that their influence is waning by comparison, but not that they are out of the whole picture because they're probably looking for an opportunity here. So all of this ultimately leads to the possibility that because of the Hutt's waning influence over the course of these last few years, that whatever Bib Fortuna stepped in to take control of, his holdings, his responsibility has also shrunk as well. And so, yeah, we really are kind of starting with smaller stakes because right now, all he's collecting or all he was collecting prior to his some, you know, unceremonious killing by Boba Fett, all he was doing was collecting protection money from Moss Espa, as far as we know. And even then, it still seems like he was a tool of this mayor, Mok Shaiz, because Mok Shaiz, the mayor, was getting his pockets lined in this whole process, too. So, yeah, we really are talking about much smaller stakes by comparison. And so, you know, the other side of this equation has to do with what actually happened with that reduction in the sphere of influence. And so according to just some digging on Wikipedia and also looking at some sequel era material, what we learn is that the you know, crime syndicates that were in operation took this power vacuum and said, all right, hey, we got to get our piece of the pie. And so it got you know, very violent among the crime syndicates. There was a lot of gang warfare, if you will. But there's another group that we have not discussed, which could apply in this situation. And wouldn't it be shocking to see them show up in the book of Boba Fett? I am talking about the Spice Runners of Kijimi. So part of their whole situation was they worked as pirates gathering protection money along the trade routes for spice coming out. They basically said either you pay us money, basically they just, you know, ransomed them or extorted them, I should say, for for money <laughs> like we'll give you safe passage with the spice that you're bringing out of Kessel as long as you give us something in return. And where the pikes come into play on this is that I guess Jabba the Hutt had roving bands of mercenaries that he used to help protect the trade routes that brought spice out of Kessel and got it out to various parts of the galaxy. So without Jabba to back these mercenaries, there was a power vacuum in that would affect the spice coming out of Kessel. And so, yeah, the pikes being the main deliverers, the main, uh, you know, suppliers of spice for the galaxy, like this affects their whole situation. So you can see why they might have kind of an interest in taking over where the huts may have left a power vacuum, as it were. And we initially met the Spice Runners, of course, in The Rise of Skywalker, and their leader at the time, Zori Bliss, who was somebody known to Poe Dameron back in the days when Poe Dameron himself was a Spice Runner, and we're still a little bit early, I think. We're not necessarily in the territory where we're going to see a young Poe Dameron show up in this series. I mean, Poe was well into his teenage years when he joined the Spice Runners, and at the time of the Book of Boba Fett, he would only be eight years old. So yeah, highly unlikely that that's gonna happen, but we could see Spice Runners of Kojimi operating as part of this whole situation. If we start to look beyond Mos Espa and we learn more about the Pikes and what they've been up to, so I 
Don't know if we're actually going to get a mention or get to actually see them, but it's entirely possible they could tie them into this as well. And I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention the novel Free Fall by Alex Segura, which detailed Poe Dameron's time with the Spice Runners too. So that's someplace else where we learned a lot more about the Spice Runners. And yeah, uh, Zori Bliss's mother was also running the Spice Runners at one point in time. So yeah, there's another character who could show up here or who could at least get a quick mention where we might go, ah, hey, I know that name. You know, the Leonardo DiCaprio meme from Once Upon a Time in the Hollywood, right? Ah! And so that's pretty much what I have for you about the you know additional information we've learned about the situation with Moss Espa and the Book of Boba Fett and the Hutt's shrinking sphere of influence and what else was going on in the galaxy at the time and how you know, a sequel era thing might end up tying into this. And before we go, I do have one note from the Department of Corrections about yesterday's episode so one of the things I mentioned about Kevin Scott and the timing of my interview with him at Celebration is that I had said that he had not been announced as part of Project Luminous at Star Wars Celebration Chicago in 2019 April and it turned out that he actually had been and I had been looking at a different article in StarWars.com and read it in a way where I thought oh no the announcement was actually made at New York Comic Con in October but None other than Kevin Scott himself actually retweeted and had very nice things to say about the episode, but corrected me on the timing of his announcement or the announcement of his involvement in Project Luminous and actually pointed me to a blog post on his own website about it. So he was very awesome about it. And yeah, he's a amazing guy, the hardest working writer in Star Wars right now, for sure, in addition to his own projects too. So anyway, just thank you so much, Kevin, for the correction. I really appreciate it. And to Star Wars 7x7 listeners and viewers, sorry about that one, but nicely and neatly cleaned up. And so there you go. That's going to do it for this episode of the show. It just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it as always. And may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. 7 is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, other respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.